In episode 65 of MobyCast, Chris walks us through the setup of his personal blog using Ghost. Welcome to MobyCast, a weekly conversation about cloud-native development, AWS, and building distributed systems. Let's jump right in. Welcome, Chris and Rich. It's another episode of MopiCast. Hey. Hey, guys. All right. So this week, we're going to talk about, I guess, so in deciding this week's topic, Chris has been doing some some work on his personal blog, and it's like, ah, your personal blog, but... The thing is, Chris is hosting his own personal blog in a way that n- nobody in their right mind does. And I think you're I think you're kind of doing it because it gives you a chance to, you know, do what you want in AWS and and it's kind of a learning tool to make sure that you're good to go on new services and changes inside of AWS and gives you some tricky stuff to play with instead of just going on like WordPress.com and buying their blog hosting package. A- am I right? Or is it also that you have some specific data ownership concerns and, and you want to make sure you're in charge of your own database of your own blog or a little bit of both? Yeah, a little bit of both. Probably first and foremost, just glutton for punishment, do things the hard way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also just having the, the option for complete total control and flexibility over whatever it is that I want to do with it. Um, right on, right on. And it turns out that that option in involves lots of software operations work or DevOps work or whatever you want to call it these days. It, it involves a lot of SRE work. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of, and we'll get into this, but it's kind of amazing, like, you know, hosting, like, so at the end of the day, yeah, it's hosting personal blog, but... <laughs> The amount, the amount of work, yeah, the amount, the amount of work, and kind of like the amount of surface area that kind of this is this is touched is pretty breathtaking, and so it's it's been fun in its own right, just just for that alone. Right, right. Well, and that's the thing: a personal blog is a web application, and there's no limit to what you can do in terms of making that web application distributed and reliable and available, and and all those other things, and. I'm hoping also, Rich, to get just to kind of get your take on a couple of things during this conversation because you know you offer development services for WordPress. You are not hosting people's personal blogs, but WordPress. There's some overlap between WordPress and people's personal blogs. It kind of grew out of that space into two thirds of the internet. So yeah, we'll get your we'll get your take on a couple of things as we get into it. So to start out, maybe you could just kind of give us an overview of. You know, the decisions you made, Chris, at the beginning when you decided, hey, I'm going to make a little blog and I'm going to host it myself. Yeah. So th- this this process started about three or four years ago. And so I just, you know, like just about everyone else, like, oh, I should have my, my own personal blog and have grand aspirations, right, for the, the weekly blog posting and thousands upon thousands of followers and all the kudos and the claps and everything <laughs> And so, you know, and of course, you know, being a tech guy, it's like doing the, you know, going and paying nine bucks a month or whatever it is to go have just some hosted service, right? And just type in my content like that was too easy. I didn't want to do it that way. So let's do it the hard way. And of course, WordPress has been definitely popular and kind of like the de facto standard for for blogs. But around that time, I heard about a tool called Ghost and, and Ghost was a relative newcomer on the scene with lots of buzz around it. The thing that was probably really got me interested into the fact that it was a, it was a Node.js application. It was uh, started as a Kickstarter. And I, I think some of the people that were, were at WordPress or had worked on WordPress with just 
kind of like it was had the the feel of like hey we've we've learned a lot with you know CMS systems and and kind of working with WordPress like here's what we here's here's the things that we want to address now with with Ghost and so we're going to do this Kickstarter and and it's going to be open source and it's just this really cool thing and again being a Node.js application that that caught my eye and so I was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna use this Ghost thing and so that that's what started that process cool and so with Ghost Rich you know you've been in the WordPress word world for quite a while and you were you know already deep in WordPress when Ghost came out. Have you been, what was your thought about Ghost when it came out and, and have you still been following it at all? So I can't remember when it came out, but I'm guessing it was five years or more, right? Mm-hmm. Been. And uh, I think the Kickstarter was in 2013. Okay. Yeah. Back then, I don't think that there was, I didn't have a whole lot of interest in it then because I felt like WordPress was still headed in the right direction. And I think that there was a lot that I could still learn from WordPress. If it, today's a little bit different because there's so many options that I'm starting to like look over, you know, the fence mm-hmm. and see what else is there. But I know a lot of people who were, were super excited about it and then came back to WordPress just because I guess it's like a lot of times, you know, in the early stages of those products, like they they're they're great and and fundamentally they're built in a way that's more modern, but at the same time they don't have the rich feature set that they're accustomed to with WordPress. And so Yeah. Yeah. I mean WordPress being a platform essentially it means that it has a whole ecosystem of things that enrich it. What I'm just curious, you mentioned you're looking at a couple of things now. What are you looking at now that that could dethrone WordPress in your world? So the the whole idea of the API first CMSs. Mm-hmm. So you have this this admin, but it basically just creates a bunch of endpoints and then it has no real consideration of what will be on the front end that's really exciting because yeah for sure that's where everything's headed so graph graph cms which uses graphql contentful if you have the money contentful starts at like 200 a month but it provides these these admin uis that give you the ability to just on the fly create these endpoints and then do whatever you want with it i think that's sort of where we would head if we were to leave there are plenty of php like craft cms which i think is on symphony maybe and laravel has like their own version of a cms but i don't, I don't think that if we were to leave wordpress we would stick with php you know we yeah, probably, yeah yeah makes sense. probably a good idea yeah all right so you're gonna host this thing chris and how are you gonna host it at this point you're already looking at aws quite a bit so what did you just what did you decide to do yeah i mean this is like three or four years ago, and by then had been using AWS for quite some time. So, so hosting this night AWS was definitely like definitely going to happen, and then also Docker as well. So, mm. going to Dockerize this and and run on run it within within AWS. So the first thing I had to do was just there was actually a, a, a Docker image for Ghost, although it was definitely a bit rough around the edges and it took some took some effort to kind of get that in a shape that was kind of had the the the, um, the functionality that I needed so I had things like dealing with secrets for you know for database credentials or for um, mail service credentials also things like logging and and various other things so I, I had to take that base Docker image and then customize it, extend it, make my own my own custom Docker image from it. And then once that's done, then go ahead and host that on ECS inside AWS. I'm imagining that when you said secrets and mail host credentials and things like that, that maybe that the Docker image that you got, it just made some assumptions and just put those things where they shouldn't be. And you had to get them out and put them in a place where they could be read maybe off of s3 with with keys or something yeah i mean it was it, it was essentially left as an exercise to the reader okay right? like the 
the the bait the the Docker image that they had was just kind of made some assumptions that like configuration was coming from a from a file from actually I think at that point it was a JavaScript file so it's just expecting the JavaScript file to exist on the file system and that's where the secrets are and it just reads from that right right so, on and so you have to go make that JavaScript file and then make sure not to put your secrets in it yeah so exactly. it has to read them from somewhere else exactly. got it okay cool all right so you're running it in ECS. And I think, you know, from, from our notes here, I, I sometimes talk about our notes. It's no secret that we have to look at notes to have a conversation. It looks like you want to talk about is mostly sort of, you know, not the, not the dockerizing, not putting things on ECS, but really making the thing available via DNS and load balancing and things like that. So maybe we can go straight to that. Yeah. So, I'm, I mean, that's, I mean, just the, the process of dockerizing Ghost and getting all this stuff to work, that was, you know, an effort in and of itself. But then the the next thing I was faced with was, in addition to my own personal blog, right, I also actually had other things that I, that I was hosting on ECS as well with their own DNS names. So things like, you know, some various microservices with with RESTful APIs and wanting to host that. And so again, being being kind of like this is for my own personal interest, my using my own you know, personal AWS account, really cost was a was a was a, was a huge factor here. And so I'm kind of thinking, okay, well, what am I going to do? I basically have like a handful of services that I all want that I want to be able to host on ECS, and I want to be able to address those by different DNS names. So how can I do this without having to spin up a an ELB elastic load balancer for each one of these these DNS names? Because ELBs are not necessarily cheap, especially if you're if you're paying for it, right? If it's coming out of your Starbucks money, so twenty dollars a a pop per month, you know, if you have five, that's a hundred dollars a month just on just on load balancers alone. So. And the other big caveat here too is like this is before AWS had announced or released ALBs, application load balancers, right? So really, it was just the one, the one load balancer type. It was classic load balancer. So things like host-based routing or path-based routing didn't exist at the load balancer at that point. And so thinking about this, I'm like, well, you know, how how can I do this? And this is when I. This is where it gets a little crazy, right? And like, I've this- got a question. Mm-hmm. Before you get there, it's because I'm just trying to understand your architecture. I'm just trying to think, did you have multiple ECS clusters for each of your different projects that you had? Or were you trying to put you know, these other APIs that you were talking about, these other microservices that you had for whatever other reason, and your blog wanting, wanting to reside as services within the same ECS cluster? Yeah. So, I mean, there was all just a single ECS cluster, but multiple. Okay. EC, there's an ECS service for each one of these yeah. things, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, one cluster... Service, yeah, you specify like a, a load balancer, right, for each one of your ECS mm-hmm. services that that are fronted by by a load balancer. So, if I kind of just done it like the the straightforward way, it would have been like if I have five services, there'd be five ECS services, and I'd have five load balancers, and then boom, I'd be done. Just yeah, just thinking that through, I still I'm still trying to get my head around that. The the reason you would have five is because that load balancer is going to direct all traffic to that service. So for you to direct traffic to different services, you would need different load balancers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And at the, again, this with a classic load balancer, the way that it was was dictated was you're 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 going based upon a port, right? Yeah, like it was yeah. Too, right. So this, so so it, it's just, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's like 
the world's a lot different now. Sure. Yeah. But, but essentially it was like you could, each one of these services in order for them to, to coexist, they'd have to be listening on different ports. And so that was the, the mapping that was done at the load balancer to say, it's like, Oh, when for this particular, this particular service, like this is the port that it's listening on. So this is what you're forwarding to. Right on, right on. So, so you could have one load balancer go talk to many different services, as long as those services were on different ports. Yes. Yes. And, and so that's kind of where, where this went, right? So that, so the idea was, was like, okay, well, I, I only want to have one load balancer. So how do I have one load balancer and have these five different services? So definitely one of the one of the things I have to do there, right, is like the, each one of these services has to be listening on a different port, mm-hmm. uh, right? And so, so I could do something like I just tell, like when you go to my blog, you you go to my you go to the <laughs> you go to the CNS name colon like you know. 8080, right? And and when you want to hit the this one other service that you go to colon eighty eighty one, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like that. Mm-hmm. That that feels kind of kind of bad, right? Yeah. Not so not so nice. So how can we given like that's the underlying like mechanism how this stuff works, like how can I kind of make this friendlier for people on 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 the front end? And so what I ended up doing was basically using Nginx to, to do this mapping. Yep. And, and so essentially how it would work is that given a, one of these five, these call it five services, all of them, their DNS would resolve to the same ELB, right? And then what would happen is the ELB would, and that would come in on obviously port 80 or, or port 443, that traffic would be forwarded to this custom app that was basically Nginx. And Nginx would then do the inspection of the headers to see, okay, what host were they trying to talk to? So they came in, you know, for the blog URL or for one of the service URLs, it would it would see that. And then based upon that, it would say, oh, no, you want to go back to that load balancer, but now go on this port. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so Nginx would then basically loop them back around to the load balancer, but this time using the right, to, to use the custom port that that service was using. Right, and right. When that happened, now the load balancer got it and it would actually forward it to the correct service in ECS. Yep. Yeah, we've done this before. Kelsis did this on a, on a project before. Also, I think because of the lack of ALBs and, and host-based routing, for the same type of reason, it was like some stuff coming in should go to this WordPress application and some other stuff should go to this, you know, node you know node service. And Nginx is the one that can figure that out. And I can't, re- I can't remember off the top of my head, it's like what configuration file and what, you know, where you say to do this in Nginx, but it's like, Nginx has this like place where you go and say anything that looks like this in the path, send it here or, you know, and it can be anything. It could be like, send it to Disney.com. Hey there, this is Rich. Please pardon this quick interruption. We recently passed an internal milestone of 30,000 listens, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for the support. I was also hoping to encourage you to head on over to iTunes to leave us a review. Positive feedback and constructive criticism are both incredibly important to us. So give us an idea of how we're doing, and we'll promise to keep publishing new episodes every week. Okay, let's dive back in. Yeah, so so Nginx has a config file. It's nginx.conf by default, mm-hmm. right? And so that's where you, where you specify this. Typi- the, the pattern typically would be something like you'd have a mixture, right? You'd have kind of like normal web static assets like JavaScript and yep. images and CSS, right? That would be served up by Nginx itself. And then you would yep. have perhaps, you know, custom API, a RESTful API service 
And that would then be forwarded to the upstream in Nginx. And so, but usually in that case, like you're just, it's on its own ELB, right? That's now as a service. So you just be forward, it would just be, you know, making calls out to this, to this other thing. Right. Um, so this is, this is a little bit different in that it's looping back around onto the same load balance, which is, Again, I mean, it kind of hurts to say this out loud, <laughs> like, <laughs> but I mean, it's kind I of the problem with it, though. You know, the load balancer is there, and it, and it's like what it understood, what it understood, the ELB, what they understood was ports. So just mm-hmm. set it to a different port on the same yeah. load balancer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was it was one of those things where it's like, hey, I think we literally did that exact thing, like not even just for Kelsis projects, but all the way back in like two thousand one or two at Store Perform, just having hardware load balancers that we would reuse and send stuff back to the hardware load balancer from either Apache or IS to different ports to get the hardware load balancer to do different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an old trick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it worked. It ended up working pretty pretty well. I did that sure. for, it worked like that for a couple, two, three years. I Every once in a while, things would uh, kind of get locked up a bit. I mean, I think Nginx got got confused or the load balancer did or ports or whatnot and would have to kick things over. But for the most part, worked. it worked pretty well. Um, but then recently, within the last few months, it was like, you know, it's really kind of silly that I'm still doing this on using this technique. It's like ALBs now exist. Like this is like a slam dunk, right, for for doing ALBs. So just go ahead and let me, I'm just going to convert this over. ALBs uh, are application load balancers. Yeah, yeah. And which and and ALBs do support things like host, host-based routing, which is essentially what I had to kind of like jury rig here. This is what I was 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 doing, was basically implementing my own host-based routing. So with ALBs, it's just a, it's a first-class feature. And so I figured, you know, I'll spend, you know, a couple of days doing this or whatnot. And man, I was just blown away by how easy and straightforward this whole process was. And I think start to finish, it took literally like maybe two hours. Well, no, maybe not five, but I mean, it, it felt like five minutes, actually. It felt, it almost <laughs> felt like magic. Like, I had to pay five minutes because it's like a, a riff on the blog entry. It's like, get your ALB based, you know, ghost WordPress, blog, you know, ghost blog up in five minutes or less. Yeah. Only my blog post. Yeah. But, you know, what you were doing, because I think I think we should really point point out to to sort of the history of MobyCast is like, I think at the time you were, you were literally studying for some AWS certification stuff. And, you know, neither of us are, are elbow deep in code for our clients. We're, we're often, you know, more at the architecture level, solutions architecture level, and, and just straight up project management sometimes just to get, get work done for our clients. So being able to get our hands dirty with some, with something, you know, actual coding or, or AWS configuration or, or DevOps we have to create those opportunities for ourselves. Yeah. And this is one of those. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So to convert it over, right? Like one of the, I want minimal downtime. I want to make sure that this, this is a pretty radical, different architecture. Just want to make sure that everything's working and whatnot. And so it's like, okay, what are the, what are the steps here that I need to do? And so basically, you know, first thing I did, just go create a new ALB and don't worry about the configuration because that comes, that comes later, but create my ALB. I then decided to create a brand new ECS cluster as opposed to reusing the existing one. 
And the reason for that is because I, I wanted to keep the same service name. I didn't want like, so like instead of like my blog too, right. Or my new blog or something like that. I, I just wanted my blog still. Right. So right. not to mention that you get, you know, brand new, fresh AMI, sure. most recent yeah. template. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So I get to, and this whole process of creating an ECS cluster, right. takes literally like five minutes. <laughs> I said, quick, Rich, what's an AMI? Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Many acronyms are killing me. <laughs> I know. So AMI is a application. No, no, no. So I don't even know what it is. It's just an yes, it's an image of an AWS machine image, I believe. Uh, AWS machine image. I was like, what's the A stand for? <laughs> okay, so it's an EC2 image, basically, Rich. So when I said he would get a new one, what I meant was that those things will kind of get old, and they're constantly getting updated with, with just different capabilities or different versions of the ECS thing agent. That's the word I was looking for. So by creating a new cluster, he's getting a new ECS AMI that has all the latest features and capabilities. Indeed. Okay. Yes. So once I had my um, <clears throat> new ECS cluster created, then um, I created a, a new ECS service to, to host this, this blog. And so here's the big thing here that I did is make sure that I'm, I'm going to use dynamic port mapping. Right. And so this is a great feature of AOBs. This is exactly what I wanted. So in the past, I had to kind of keep that map of for a particular service, what port was it going to listen to? Because again, you can't have more than one service listening to the same port. Yet they all, you have no idea what services are going to be on which machines and, and have these conflicts. So you have to map. You, I had to map it myself and, and manage that mapping. But with dynamic port mapping, you no longer have to do that. You let AWS do it. So there's just a, a really nice straightforward awesome feature so just check that box and now so it's like, uh, this service is going to run on ecs you aws I, I don't care what port it runs on you figure it out and then when you point the alb at the service you just say point it at this service name and aws knows what port that's running on or the alb knows what port that's running on and knows how to get to it is that essentially what you're saying mm -hmm. yeah yeah sweet yeah so i have a new ecs service it's going to use dynamic port mapping and i wire it up and say this is the alb that it's using and then now i can go and um configure the alb so because now i have the the target you know the the application which ends up basically being the, the target group if you will now that that's there and now i can go to the alb and i can configure that host base routing so i can say okay for these particular host names so like for me, it's like my, the name of my blog is Upstart. And so it's like whenever a request comes in and the host name is upstart.chrisic.com, it's going to now forward it to that new ECS service that I just spun up. And then likewise, I can, if I also want like www.chrisic.com to go to that same, I want that to be an alias for it. I just configure that. This is another host forward to this to this particular ECS service target group. And basically that's that's all I had to do. And at that point, it's now just a DNS change. So I just go into DNS and now I can say, okay, for upstart com, point it to this new ALB instead of the old classic load balancer. And now everything just just works. And you know, we just walked through that process. It it literally definitely took less than two hours and it simplified everything so much too. Yeah. Which was really nice. So, you know, still have just a single load balancer. I have, I can still, I can host as basically almost as many services I want. I don't have to manage ports and it's just very, very simple. And not only that, there's some additional benefits that I get with this as well. So before with that, that previous architecture, 
there's issues with, okay, how do I do TLS correctly? Like, how is that going to work? And how do I handle the redirects there? With the ALB, it's very, very simple because you can just have, you can you can basically force, I, want, I wanted to force all traffic to go over TLS. So all I have to do is just, I, I can set up the port 80 listener on the ALB and I can say whenever anything comes in on port, port 80, just force them to go back through port 443. Mm-hmm. And now, boom, I'm done. I now have all, it's nothing but TLS traffic and it's all handled at the load balancer level. So that was really Really nice and just a really easy checkbox to add for functionality. Yeah. So I think one of the hardest things about ECS is is the part that you have to understand how ECT really works. And that's that's like setting up your auto-scaling stuff. I can't remember the two names. It's like the auto-scaling something and then the thing that auto-scaling uses to know what kind of machine it should use when it yeah. adds or removes the machine. Yeah. So when you create an ECS cluster that's backed by an auto scale group. Auto scale group. And yep. Auto scale group is defined by launch configuration. Launch configuration. That's I literally was not paying attention to you for about 30 seconds while I was trying to remember the word launch configuration. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so if I, I honestly I do think that that's that's sort of the part where it's like, hey, this is kind of ugly. But you can get around that by if, using Fargate if you're just like, oh, you know, scale up or scale down. I don't want to think about it. Mm-hmm. Or I mean, truth be told, I mean, you know, all this stuff is all wrapped by AWS ECS to begin with. So it's like you if you if you if you are using ECS, you just go in and say create cluster to you. It just and you tell when you create the cluster how many machines you want in it. And so if you want three or whatever like that, it's just setting the the number of machines in the auto scale group to three. It never tells you that it created an ASG, an auto scale group. It never told you it created a launch configuration. You just kind of give it the parameters it needed to go do that. And so there's I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that they they use ECS, they've spun it up and they never they don't even know that they have an ASG and a launch configuration behind it. Oh interesting. Yeah. I this also, you know, because I've been thinking a lot about serverless lately, this whole thing makes me realize that, you know, ghosts and then some of the things that Rich was talking about, just CMSs, I am I've got to, you know, you gotta think that somebody's maybe working on a serverless CMS, which which would be kind of neat if you wanted to do self-hosting, you could create like a serverless CMS that would unroll itself inside your AWS account, basically grab the cloud formation to just spin up a serverless CMS inside your AWS account so that you still own all, all the, I mean, own, you're in control of all the resources that it, the AWS actually owns the physical hardware of. But mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, kind of slightly different than than having to run a Docker image and you know do the care and feeding of a Docker image. You could, you could do so, like a, a fully serverless thing that, that can scale down to zero or scale up to million. I bet somebody's working on that. Yeah, I'm sure that there's there's probably several, you know, yeah, um, underway right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, they and they probably. I wouldn't be surprised if they exist. I mean, like for for like this particular architecture, it's really Ghost is the only thing that can't be serverless. Um, right. Because, like it supports MySQL, and and so we we already in the previous episode previous episode we talked about Aurora serverless, and so yep. Yep. I can I can use that. You know, we have. So really, it's just the the hosting of the of the actual CMS itself. And at the end of the day, like um, you can totally see like a CMS being implemented as Lambda functions, right? Mm-hmm. Like for each one of the API calls and manipulating, you know, making database calls and when when it needs to and whatnot. And so it's it's not 
too difficult to see that that path kind of happening. And so I'm sure that it does exist out there. Yeah, be, we'll leave it as an exercise for the listener. Go Google it and find out if that's happening. And then whoever does do that, they're like that, whoever's working on that will get that one little extra hit, hopefully get famous. <laughs> yeah, I Googled it. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a few cosmic js <clears throat> oh yeah i think i've heard of that and webany is actually one that was on product hunt not too long ago oh, interesting march yes cms is is due for you know and, and let me be clear you know the architecture of your cms is not really that important at the end of the day as long as it can scale and as long as it can scale quickly, that's the requirement. The business requirement is being able to scale up and scale down quickly, not that it uses AWS in a specific way or Google Cloud or Azure in a specific way, but just that it can do what it needs to do to handle low or high and spiky traffic. So that, you know, and CMS is ripe to be, what's the word, disrupted. So we'll watch it. We'll keep watching it. In the meantime, I, there's rarely a there's rarely a project that goes, that goes by with Kelsis that doesn't require at some level integration with the CMS. So there's always, you know, that that connection between marketing and people that want to make changes to what they see on web pages without getting the development team involved and the stuff that just needs the development team to change it. So yeah. yeah absolutely CMSs are 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 need to be more of a business decision than a technology decision for that reason, mm-hmm. right? Because you need to have the marketing team in there and they're mm-hmm. going to be comfortable with the UI and they're going to be uncomfortable with new UIs. And so I think WordPress ends up being the choice, not for the tech stack. I don't think WordPress, at least in the last couple of years, because people are familiar with it and the ecosystem is huge. So like, you know, a lot of problems are already solved and, you know, you can, you can pay a license for a hundred dollars a year to, to solve a really hard problem. And, and when you start to go into those obscure CMSs that are still in their infancy, like you typically are building everything from scratch. Mm-hmm. And, and it gets back into that thing I was just saying, like, you don't want to get the development team involved on some of these simple things that you're doing on your, on your user facing website. Yeah. I don't think, it, I think I was one of my like marketing taglines. If I was to target software engineer companies like Kelsis it would be software engineers should not build marketing websites. <laughs> Agreed. Right. Not that they can't, they shouldn't, right? It's not a right. good their time. Right. All right. Well, thanks, Rich. Thanks, Chris. That was thanks, really Kat. interesting. Yeah. We'll catch you next week. All right. See you next week. Later. Well, dear listener, you made it to the end. We appreciate your time and invite you to continue the conversation with us online. This episode, along with show notes and other valuable resources, is available at mobicast.fm forward slash six five. If you have any questions or additional insights, We encourage you to leave us a comment there. Thank you, and we'll see you again next week.